Welcome to the sixth wave of Rising Tide, the ocean podcast. Today, we're going to talk story with the great native Hawaiian navigator and president of the Polynesian Voyaging Society, Nainoa Thompson. I caught up with Nainoa in San Diego, where he was keynoting a conference that brought together 5,000 ocean scientists in February. I also spent some time on the beach and in the water with my friend Charlie. That was only three months ago, but it seems like a whole different era from the pandemic-plagued world we now inhabit. So, an indigenous hero from the nation of Oceana. But before we hear from Nainoa, I'm here on the sands of Ocean Beach, San Diego, with my longtime friend, lifetime surfer, and sound editor of Rising Tide, Charlie Landon. Okay, ocean safety tip number one, Charlie. What did your dad, Joe Landon, insist on before he let you start surfing as a kid? When I was 12, I couldn't get my first surfboard until my dad took me to swim lessons and they emphasized endurance. Okay, so you've been like a lifelong surfer. Now your kids are surfing better than you. Yes, that's true. They're way better than me and they're younger than me and they're fantastic to watch. And I am so excited by watching how they surf. And I got to surf with Joe, my middle son, just yesterday. And it was a magnificent experience. Pretty much your family also started in the surf. How did you meet your wife, Sheila? Strangely enough, I was body surfing a small beach near where I lived, and this wonderful woman was laying next to the shoreline. And sure enough, a wave threw me up at her feet, and the rest is history. I have three children, and we've been married for 32 years. So what's, what's your advice for somebody entering the water today? Always go in with a great attitude and practice my favorite syllables. Go for it and you'll always come out feeling better than when you went in. Hi, so I'm here with Nainoa Thompson at the American Geophysical Union's Ocean Conference where he just inspired several thousand marine scientists. I was born on my grandfather's dairy farm when, when Hawaii had less than half the population it is now. I live in <clears throat> what's really urban now is, was very rural back then. It was just farms and... Um, and my mom and dad, my, my mom is afraid of the ocean. My dad is too busy to take me. But on my grandfather's dairy farm, I'm so old that we used to um, milk the cows, process it in the day, and then there'd be the milkman. <coughs> He'd be second generation Japanese. His name was Yoshi Kawano, um, who would deliver the milk in bottles on people's doorsteps. There were no stores. I mean, there's no supermarkets. And... Um, and, you know, Hawaii was still wild. It was still full of life. This Yoshi Kawano, um, he gave me this really special gift that would change my life. <coughs> it was like a four-foot bamboo pole, fishing pole. And so he would go deliver milk from 10.30 at night to like around 8 in the morning <coughs> to all these houses. And I'd be sitting on his old wooden doorsteps, and he'd pick me up in the car, no sleep, drive me down to... Maunalua Bay, where I grew up, and uh, and it was just full of life in the oceans, and and then we would, with the old beat up linen net, we would catch within two feet of water all the food that was needed for the community. So his job was to <coughs> catch just for the community only enough what you could eat. So, so so that I was introduced to to the oceans, but I was introduced to the the power of what lived in the oceans, young and. I think that's, I've had hundreds of amazing teachers, but that was the most important one because he took me when I was young. So Yoshi Kawano would be the one who introduced me to the oceans. 
my father's mother's pure Hawaiian told many stories when I was young about <clears throat> the old stories about being Hawaiian because that all didn't exist anymore. That had a huge impact on my imagination and dreaming of what Hawaii used to be, very historical. Oh, look, it doesn't exist anymore. But um, So it was life in the ocean. It was stories of, 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 of being what it really means to be Hawaiian. Essentially, just was in the right place at the right time to meet uh, another just extraordinary pioneer and mentor, Herb Kabainui Kane, the founder, one of the three founders of the Polynesian Voyage. I was really young, and... Um, and I just followed him around. <clears throat> and then he introduced me to Hokulea before it was even constructed. Well, when it was being constructed. So I was there in the old warehouse painting stuff. Herb was re recruiting the crew that would actually crew Hokulea to go to Tahiti. Even though Hokulea, the voyaging canoe, wasn't constructed yet. But he invited me to dinner just because I paddled him around all the time. So when we walked in his old wooden house. He was a painter. He had 19 oil paintings of voyaging canoes all around his walls. I didn't know what they represent. I had no connection. At dinner, he talked about a voyage of 2,400 miles to a place called Tahiti and Kaikinui. I don't know what that was. He had maps and charts all over the place with um, about all these Pacific islands that I had no idea. And then, uh, it wasn't that moment. It was... It was um, when he took us outside in the yard and Herb took our imagination and eyes up to the stars and he started to make stories from the North Star to the Big Dipper to Arcturus to Spica to Corvus to the Southern Cross. And then he said, these are the stars we'll use to navigate the city. Then I was in the dream. And you were with the Hokulea on its first journey, not to Tahiti, <coughs> but back from yes. Tahiti. Yes, I was selected for the trip back uh, from Tahiti to Hawaii. Yeah. How did that change your course? It changed everything because, <clears throat> you know, you had no idea what it, not just what you thought it was, but, but how do you feel to be Hawaiian? What does it feel like? And, and it, that's where, in the wake of the ancestors, traveling between your homeland um, and, 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 and knowing it's hard, out there is hard. I mean, Anybody with the romantic ideas of how the ocean is, it, it can get changed real quick. You, you know, the, but being in the wake and, and, and in the pathway on the road, um, there was a place for me to, to find myself as, as, as a native, as an indigenous Hawaiian. And, uh, but when we got back home, there, it, 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 it didn't change Hawaii immediately. It, it took a while. But um, we just, I, once I got home and the, you got back into the kind of the, confusion of urban Oahu um, you start to get lost again so I knew the only way I could find myself was to go back on the ocean and go back <coughs> and, and sail under the stars stars, sun, moon, planets wind, cloud, wave uh, sea life, seabirds life in the oceans in other words you can sail kind of anywhere if you can communicate and understand the natural world of the oceans but the question is can you see it can you feel it and that's uh the difference between the masters and those who are just learning about navigation we'll be rejoining the polynesian voyaging societies and i know thompson in just a few seconds so stand by your helm do you like cartoon sea creatures and want to save the ocean 
Read 50 Ways to Save the Ocean and Meet Claudia the Crab and Finley the Fish. Blue Frontier's David Helvarg and Sherman's Lagoon cartoonist Jim Toomey create some funny characters and fun actions you can take. Ask for 50 Ways to Save the Ocean at your local bookstore or order it online. How did the first voyages of Hokulea connect people who weren't connecting? It would take three voyages to really get the story out. So you had the trip in 1976 and Mao goes to Tahiti and, and, and then we take it back to Hawaii. And then it was 1980, there was another voyage that was, Mao trained us for us to sail to Tahiti and back. But then the re- after that voyage, we started to get the requests from Cook Islands and New Zealand and Samoa saying, um, we want to see Hokulea. So in 1985 to 1987, we did a two-year voyage um, to most of the major Polynesian island groups. And that's when um, these connections start to be made. It's so extraordinary. Uh, my father's Hawaiian lineage goes through the genealogy called Pa'oa. Pa'oa, <coughs> and we just started to f- you know, get introduced. When we were in New Zealand, some elderly lady was at the marae sitting by the window for days just sat there and didn't say a word to us. And finally she goes up, she goes up to my dad and goes, I'm Pao. I'm your relative. The belief now is that the, the um, discovery of Polynesia was fast, 10 million square miles in 100 years. So, and it all came from these special families. So we're all linked. We don't know what we'll accomplish sailing the voyage in canoes and making connections. But we do know we'll do nothing if we stay home. And, and so, so that issue about caring, to me, is a, is a human issue that humanity needs to figure out. And, and it, it's uh, so that you have the science, but it's the will to change that has to be coupled in. It's a cultural issue. And I don't mean culture defined by race. I don't mean color of your skin. I don't mean your nationalism. I don't mean your ethnic group. I mean values. It's a culture of values. Do you care? I mean, if you accept the good, legitimate, peer-reviewed science, you know, we're so far across. It, it, it's, it, it just makes me so enraged and so angry about things like we know what's wrong and, 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 and we actually have the solutions and we have the technology to do so much, and yet we don't. And, um, and when you try to add up the reasons why we don't, it's, it's just, it's almost... It is criminal. If, if children have rights to a safe and secure future, if they have rights, right, um, um, to that future, then it is criminal what we're doing on this planet. But you're getting a lot of will with taking the Polynesian voyaging global. It's you know, David, I don't know. I mean, we're trying. Uh, come from a tiny island group called Hawaii, but we sat down as leaders and said, you know, we got to go. You know, the, cause, because the Hawaii, Hawaii, we're just going to watch a mirror image of the earth decline while Hawaii declines. And that's not okay. And so I- in order to really have to renew and revitalize and rebuild and build a renaissance for a future that's worth it in Hawaii, you have to be involved in the world, on the island earth. So we 
just as said, they said, we just got to go. So you did. You've done three global voyages to date? No, one. <coughs> one, yeah. One but I'm sorry, three years. Yeah, it was voyage. 37 months. It was um, 42,000 miles. It was 327 ports. It was it was amazing. Um, I don't know if we did anything, but for us, it it inspired us about how like, beautiful this earth is and how infinitely complex its living systems are and we're and that we're messing with it. We saw thousands of people and, and it was the ones that were most powerful were the strangers. Y they don't know you, you don't know them, but they're working so hard with so little in watersheds or coral reefs and in, in the environment or in in the poorest of our slums and, 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 and picking up those who need it the most that our society typically serves the least. It was this very powerful a story, especially the ones that didn't know who we were, where we came from. And you got a chance to meet strangers doing powerful acts of kindness that you know that, that, that it's, they're not just doing it for their community. They're doing it for all of us on earth that needs to know that we're gonna win this race. Uh, between those who are hurting the earth and those who are, uh, who are restoring it. It's like Hokulea went around the world, you know, kind of a lay where each flower was a light in someone's communities and, um, and now they're friends. And somehow you gotta amplify that globally. Time really matters now, David. It, it really matters uh, because the thing about science now, their forecasting is actually good. You know, it's hard to deny their forecasting because they've been so good. And even, even with the current forecasting, we still don't know uh, what's going to happen when we start mixing problems and, and, and failures and collapses. We don't know when you mix it up what is the ultimate uh, outcome. And, but nobody f feels that any, any of it's going to be good. And so um, I just think we ought to do our part. It's, it's triage at this point. Right. I mean, the ocean's on the edge, the planet's on the right. edge, but we need inspiration. Right. You're part of that inspiration. Right. No. Well, thank you, thank you. What is your water time? You're, you're on the road so much, you're <coughs> yeah, on um, boats. You know, I, I, I'm so off balance when I'm not in the ocean, um, and so I, I, I know when I need to be reconnected. So, you know, a lot of time now is just at night. I have like a one-man canoe, and. And I just paddle. And uh, I'm old. So I don't paddle hard. I paddle far. But I get underneath the stars of that canoe. And I get in the wave of the canoe. And um, primarily at night. When everything goes quiet. Nobody's around. My children are asleep. And then I get to go to the place that restores my strength. And uh, mostly by myself in the ocean at night. Hope you enjoyed your auditory visit with Rising Tide today. If you did, subscribe wherever you get your audio podcast from sea to shining sea. Mahalo. Rising Tide's music is written and performed by Ethan Kenvarg. Rising Tide is a project of the Blue Frontier. For more information, go to www.bluefront.org.
Sparky, come here, buddy. Sparky, there you are. Good boy, Sparky. 